Revolution Radio of FreedomSlips.com, the number one listener-supported talk radio station, throwing ourselves upon the gears of the machine. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. You called down the thunder, well now you've got Chris, you tell them I'm coming, and hell's coming with me, you hear? Hell's coming with me! Revolution Radio. We did not engage in conflict that was out of line with our mission. Is it disloyal? Is it sedition? Is it treason to oppose the hands of tyranny? Never! I will never send troops anywhere on a mission of that kind without telling them that if somebody shoots at them, they can darn well shoot back. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty! Oh, give me! A dark cloud is finally lifting across the world as U.S. military intelligence and their global partners are destroying the deep state criminal power structure that has ruled over our planet for hundreds of years. We are free with the God-given rights, and we shall not yield that right to any power on Earth. Hi, I'm Scott McKay. The world is at, and I am your host on The Tipping Point. On Revolution Radio, where every Monday from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, we bring you the latest in this ensuing takedown of this global criminal empire. That's an image of strength. You'll get the raw, hard truth here on The Tipping Point. So come join us Mondays, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, in Studio B at Revolution.Radio. Thanks for listening while we take that short break here at Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com. And now we're going to get back to your host. All right, you're listening to Revolution Radio. Uh, Revolution.radio is the place to go if you want to give us a little bit of financial support. There's a place to make donations. Uh, my name's Dennis, and you're listening to a show called Free Association that I've been doing for th- just over three years now. Started in February 2020, no, March 2020, the week before lockdown happened and all that bullshit started to happen. Uh, but it's been an interesting journey. I think it's probably time for me to get back to first principles again here, though. So... I started by uh, doing a lot of shows on a philosophical system or a belief system called New Thought. And I'm still quite into the New Thought. I like what it what it's about. I like the fact that it's empowering for individuals and it's empowering for people in general. And my baseline assumption is, is that I'm eternal and having a human experience so i start from there and i think it's probably all a lucid dream of some sort but i haven't got any real evidence to back that up apart from when i set my intention for for finding a new place to live that usually happens the way that i imagine it and quite often i have conversations that i've imagined happening a couple of days before and a few things have shifted in the last couple of weeks because I've shifted my internal assumptions about how the world is and how I am in the world. And usually when I shift my assumptions about how I am in the world, 
the world changes and that's kind of where i am so it's kind of a combination of new thought and a bit of buddhism and a bit of new age stuff and a little bit of a little bit of christianity and a little bit of this and a little bit of that i'm eclectic in the way that i do things but it seems to be working for me and uh it's going to be an inter- interesting process if it continues the way it's doing. Uh, I just checked on my podcast and I've, I've had more downloads today so far than I had in the last three days. Something So I've done something right, but I don't know what it is. And I think it might have something to do with going back to letting go of some childhood kind of guilt and shame and childhood issues around the family and stuff which I every now and again I go back to that and I release it I let it go just in case there's anything still there to let go I don't really think there is that much to let go of now because I've been back to it so many times but there's but I think there's something something has shifted so I'm going to go back again on Tuesday, Wednesday next week, and I'm going to do some more letting go on the same issues, and uh, I'll see if we get another another bounce in my downloads on the podcast. Because it seems to be there's a correlation there. I can't prove causation, but uh, I used to at one point do some small business coaching based around visualization where it was me doing the visualization for the other person and guiding them through a version of what I was doing for them to do. And that used to work for people. Uh, I was framing it as coaching at the time because it was small businesses. And I used to charge like £150 for an hour or £225 for an hour sometimes. For that particular style of coaching, in in the particular group of, of businesses that I was working with, it worked quite well for people. People asked me to visualize getting jobs for them and, and getting new clients and all sorts of stuff. And I'm quite good at visualizing for other people. I'm, re- I'm getting reasonably good at visualizing for myself now as well. I was always better at visualizing for other people than I was visualizing for myself. But now I think I'm at the point where I'm just visualizing and things are happening, which is an interesting place to be. It means I've got to be careful what I wish for. It means I've got to be careful where my head goes. But I'm already quite careful about where my head goes. So I'm okay with that. I think that's a that's a reasonable compromise. If you want to, if you want to change your life around. A good place to start is just sitting quietly and feeling like your life's already changed around. That's a Neville Goddard technique, and it really is a technique that's well worth well worth going with. Usually before you go to sleep, just imagine and feel feel like you've already had the conversation you want to have with that person who's being a bit annoying, feel like you've already got the thing that you want to have that you're saving up for, visualize it, walk around the house 
and see it in the place where you're going to put it when you've got the money. And if you can feel that, if you can feel that deeply in in the set in the set like cellular cellular level feeling we're talking about, so deep consciousness level, which is the being of the of your cells really. If you can feel that as a as a thing that's already happened, that you've already got the thing that you want to be in that particular corner of your living room, or you've already been on the holiday that you want to go on, then it it increases the likelihood of it happening. I'm not going to say it guarantee, I can guarantee it'll happen because I, I can't, but it increases the likelihood that that particular timeline is the one that you're stepping onto. And uh, that's a useful thing to know. So I've I've been hunting around. I've been looking at like the COVID narrative and the vaccine narrative and the bioweapons narrative a lot uh, here and on the podcast over the last three years because you can't really avoid it. But what it's what that's helped me to do is take a step back and a step back and a step back and a step back. So I'm now at the place where I don't even believe that any disease exists, which is going to be a difficult thing to to get across to people, but I'm going to give it a go. So where I, where I start from is that I'm eternal and having a human experience. And what, what that means is that... Uh, we're all well. I'm living in a lucid dream. It's the dream of the eternal having a human experience, but it just, but it feels like a human experience because you don't realise that you're eternal until you start going looking for the things that that make you eternal. So I'm starting from a, a position of of monism, again back to monism as the place to start, and within monism. There is no disease. There are no pathogens. There are no viruses. The The point where those things start to exist is when you shift into dualism, which is the human experience. So dualism is the perception of something other than, than yourself. And some of the things that, that are perceived as being other than self are things like diseases, pathogens, viruses, invisible enemies is, is kind of a thing. If you're believing in... Invi- so it's about belief, really. If you're believing in an invisible enemy that can cause a disease, then you're opening yourself up to the possibility of that disease manifesting. So it's not in anybody's interest to really believe in disease, even at a human level. At a human level, it's like you you talk to people and they're always they're backwards and forwards to hospital or they they've just had a doctor's appointment or they've just had a scan for something or whatever it is. But it's all part of a lucid dream. It's all part of a lucid dream based on assumptions that you don't know you've even made about the existence of disease. So it's not in my interests to believe in that diseases exist. 
and it's not in your interest to believe that diseases exist because none of us want to be open to the possibility that uh, chronic disease is going to be a thing that we have to deal with. So I'm at a place where I don't really believe that it, the disease can exist. It all has to be an illusion of some sort or a lucid dream. I don't think it's virtual reality and I don't think it's a simulation. I think that we're creating it as we go along because it's a lucid dream. But we don't know that we're creating it as we go along. So we get into all these places where the assumption that disease exists become be, produces a thing where you're looking for invisible enemies and that produces a belief in in viruses as an invisible enemy that, that are capable of producing disease and the belief in viruses produces disease and and produces people looking for a cure for the disease so it produces so the belief in viruses produces the vaccine and the vaccine causes yet more disease so the problem has to go back further than the belief in the virus it has to go back to the belief of in diseases in general it has to go back to the which is a which is a dualist approach so the problem is dualism again so I'm simplifying this back to the point where it's a choice between monism and dualism. So it's a philosophical conversation, it's a philosophical choice that then produces your belief system, that produces the results of the belief system. That's how the dream works, that's how the lucid dream works. I don't think it's possible to simplify it any more than that or explain it any more than that but uh, that's how I think it works that's how it works for me so I'm guessing that other people might have the same assumptions going into their dream they might have different assumptions going into their dream but either way it's the assumptions that produce the effect so those are the things that you need to look at if you want to change the effect change the assumptions all right, so that's that's what I wanted to say about that. And I've got a a piece of material which is um, the trial of Sukarat Bhakti. So in Germany this week, a doctor was on trial for incitement, inciting the crowd and uh, disrespecting the Holocaust. And there was a there was a one day trial. Uh, and I've, I've been covering it on the podcast over the last week or so. And I've got some material. It's an interview that he did for Children's Health Defence, I think yesterday or the day before yesterday, about the trial. So I'm going to play that now. Uh, it's about 25 minutes long. I've cut it down because it was a, a longer session than 25 minutes, but... Well, I'm sure I've been. I've just shared the wrong side, wrong screen. Let me do that again. All right, here we go. That's better. So this is the piece. As I said, this is from Children's Health Defence, 
and it was recorded a couple of days ago. It was hosted by Catherine Austin Fitz. So this is part of the it's part of the virus narrative. It's part of the vaccine narrative. All of which are part of the lucid dream that we're all living in and all creating as we go along. So it's interesting that that it's being created in this particular way. But here is the interview anyway. It's good, it's worth listening to. Just have to say congratulations and thank you. Um, maybe if you could tell us a little bit about uh, what what has happened, what happened at the hearing, and how you feel about this. Sure. Hello, everyone. Yes, um, I said uh, uh, during the day that I was probably the most relaxed person uh, in court because uh, I, you know, I was never worried uh, about myself. There were other worries that were so much greater that my personal situation really recedes into it's nothing. You know that my worry, your worries, Mary's, all of us, we're worried about the WHO, we're worried about the uh, gene transforming uh, 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 so-called vaccinations uh, and, 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 and everything else just becomes trivial. My case was also trivial to me because uh, it was so construed, it was so clearly construed and, and artificial uh, there were two charges against me. Uh, one charge uh, was because of something I said in a 19-minute interview where I was talking about the dangers of, 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 these, uh, of these agents, RNA agents. And in two minutes, I said things that could, were turned around uh, uh, completely, in a sense, um, and they were turned into, uh, uh, what is it, hate incitement against the Jews. I mean, something so ridiculous where uh, everyone uh, actually should know how many wonderful Jewish friends I have. And, you know, they're dear to my heart. Um, one, it's so incredible. Uh, the thing is that they took um, three minutes out of 90 and they did not show the other 90 minutes and that's what happened in court uh, everyone watched the full 90 minutes and after that it was clear that these three minutes have been taken out of the whole context and you're not allowed to do that you can't just take three minutes out of a 90 minute uh, uh, video and say you know where all the time I was saying quite the opposite. I was saying we have to help our friends uh, in Israel. We have to help them. They need our help and they have to be protected against uh, their own government. That's what I was saying. Um, the second uh, uh, chart that was made, uh, incredibly enough, uh, it was even more incredible because what I said, I, I read a letter that was written by Holocaust survivors who themselves said that this is the second Holocaust coming upon us, the vaccination. And that was used against me 
to say that I was trivializing the Holocaust. It's so incredible. You know, so um, there, there was actually no discussion whatsoever. The judge made up his mind very, very quickly, but it was the public prosecutor who was embarrassingly enough going on and on uh, saying the same thing that was completely senseless. So uh, in the end, it took nine hours uh, for this whole meeting to end with my acquittal. But uh, that's, that's what happened. You know, you can't take something out of thin air and make something out of it. Where there is nothing, you have nothing, nothing uh, you have nothing in your hands to do, and if you can't persecute anyone with that. So, if you want to know what my uh, feelings were at the end, my feelings were feelings of gratitude. I was grateful first uh, to the judge um, because he saved, I think, uh, the face and the honor of 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 uh, german jurisdiction uh, he he went against you know the main stream and uh, dared to stand up and just say uh, i uh, uh, <laughs> will end this whole thing and acquit him uh, i was proud of him i was proud of plön and i was thankful then my thankfulness went out to all the supporters around the world, not only in the court, who have been giving Karina, my wife and me, uh, strength and hope that, uh, that we can stand up together and uh, protect ourselves and, and humanity against the people who are driving this really evil agenda. And my third uh, thanks went, of course, to the lawyers who were just a simply great team. I think they were the best team that uh, we could ever put together here in Germany. So all in all, it was a good day. It was a good day for the world, I think. And it should give others around the world hope that uh, the wonderful example set in Plön could be followed elsewhere. Right. I have, I have a, a wonderful friend who used to say, you know, there are allies everywhere. And it just, uh, I, I was very impressed with the judge's approach. And um, anyway, but Taylor Hudak is the, uh, runs uh, communications for the doctors for COVID ethics, has done an incredible job for the last year getting all the doctors, putting together timelines, working with the doctors at Doctors for COVID Ethics to put together the bio and make sure there was a package of information. And then she was first one into the courthouse uh, and, and covered it, uh, posting on social media all day long. And we were all hanging, like hanging on a cliff, waiting to hear, you know, every everything she'd say, this is going to happen next in 30 minutes. And we'd just be hanging there. And so... Uh, you know, we were there on the cliff when she let us know that the verdict was not guilty. So, Taylor, you've been working on this for quite some time. This has been quite a, a labor of love and very difficult. And yet, 
uh, it really paid off. So tell us more about the hearing and, and the support that you saw in Germany at the hearing. Yes, absolutely. So we arrived at the courthouse, myself and my translator, who I first and foremost want to acknowledge, Yuda uh, Degner. She was able to help me understand the court proceedings because, of course, German is not my first language. So uh, she was right there to ensure that I understood what was taking place. And I just owe so much gratitude to her. And uh, we arrived there at the courthouse. 6 a.m. The court proceedings were scheduled to begin at 9 o'clock. As you said, Catherine, I was the first person uh, in the courtroom, and there were several journalists who were present, many in the new media as well as some traditional media. And then, of course, there was an overwhelming amount of support. I had the opportunity to talk to several supporters who were uh, German uh, speakers, of course, and German citizens, and it was very interesting to get their perspective on this case. Many people felt disappointed in their country for pursuing Professor Bakti. They also expressed a great gratitude towards him for the work that he has done for educating them on COVID-19, the virus, as well as the mRNA injections. And many people were saying things like, he saved my life. I read his book with his wife, uh, Karina Rice, who was also co-authored Corona False Alarm. They read this book early on and they said that that was the reason that they chose not to get vaccinated. And they just really admired Suturit for his courage. And they saw through this case and were able to see it for what it really was, which was a political persecution. So I just wanted to touch on how there's been so much support for Suturit, and you saw that at the courthouse. Now we can get into some of the uh, facts of this uh, court case. As Suturit had said, it lasted about nine hours. We were there all day long. And um, the lawyers, the legal team, uh, Sutrid's legal team started with an argument outlining three reasons as to why the court should drop the case. And I'm going to refer to my notes here just to make sure that I have all these facts correct. It's all very fresh information. So they argued first that the prosecution didn't have the full video footage at the time when they opened the court proceedings. They had to consider the statements that were made in uh, full. So they couldn't just pick apart portions of the interview or the speech and analyze it. They had to consider the entire speech, the entire interview, and the prosecution failed to do so. And they also didn't make an effort to receive the entire video footage. And there were also concerns about personal information in the indictment. So then the court adjourned, reconvened, and the prosecutor read out the indictment. And there were some back and forth technical discussions about uh, whether or not there was going to be further discussion about a potential bias on behalf of the judge that was not further pursued. But it was very interesting because very early on during the court proceedings, the judge said that his assessment at this time was that there was insufficient evidence to punish Suturit for the alleged anti-Semitic remarks, that there was really no case. But he did say, of course, that his assessment could change throughout the hearings, but uh, it didn't. Uh, the judge, of course, reviewed uh, the video footage in full and determined that uh, Suture was not guilty. Now, uh, we did watch the full 90-minute interview that Professor Bakti did with Kai Stutz. And I have to tell you guys that uh, it was a remarkable moment in court because here you have Professor Bakti, 
explaining the science behind COVID-19, these mRNA injections, and you have the state had to sit and listen to this evidence. And of course, the court, um, what was useful for the court was just that very small uh, three-minute uh, time frame in which the uh, statements in question were uh, discussed. So all of this evidence was being um, heard in a courtroom, and that is the evidence as to how dangerous these mRNA injections are. So that was really uh, quite an interesting moment. I think everybody was really taken uh, by that moment. And as I said, we listened to uh, both videos in full. That took quite a while. There were a few breaks in between. And then you saw that the prosecutor actually started to become a little bit nervous, I would say, because other issues were addressed. So the prosecutor then wanted to get into facts concerning as to how many people or media entities shared the video, as well as how many likes the videos received. And the defense argued this is irrelevant, and the judge sided with them. But I found this an interesting point, because here you have the prosecutor trying to essentially criminalize or use as evidence those who shared this information. And fortunately, that was not something that was uh, further pursued by the court. The judge uh, would not allow uh, further discussions on this matter. And at this point, the judge actually would not allow any further witnesses. There was one uh, witness who spoke. This was a police officer who was describing what had taken place at the campaign speech on September 24th, 2021. This was a speech in which Sutra was accused of making alleged anti-Semitic remarks. And this police officer, who was a defense witness, was at this campaign event, and he answered factual questions about this event, that there were 200 people there, that there was no rioting, no illegal activity. It was a peaceful event, and he provided those sorts of details. And then, as I said, no other witnesses were allowed because the judge felt that there was insufficient uh, evidence provided by the prosecutor. And then I'm just going to move forward here. Uh, the judge then told the court that both sides would have an opportunity to present their final arguments. And uh, the prosecutor, Silky Fussinger, uh, again tried to reiterate points about um, certain issues that were raised in the indictment. And she was asking for 90 euros paid daily for 150 days for the first charge and then 90 euros paid daily for 70 days for the second charge and summed it up to 90 euros paid daily for 180 days. And I'm just going to look through here for some additional info. Okay, yes, also the prosecutor was uh, consistently reminded that she had a duty to collect and investigate information that was also going to be in favor and against the defendant. And she did not do that. She was only looking at information that was against the defendant. And so there were several legal irregularities with the case, namely the fact that she did not view both videos in full and that she did not thoroughly investigate the case. I also want to make an important note here too. Throughout my research on this case, and it is a very complicated uh, court proceeding. It, it was very complicated to sort through this information. It took an entire year to do this. And one of the things that I noticed was that the 
Independent Reporting Center for Anti-Semitic Crimes is Leah S.H. And I found an email exchange between the prosecutor Fussinger and the head of Leah S.H. And I thought that was very interesting. And the subject line of this email exchange said networking meeting. So here you have the prosecutor and the head of Leda SH working together and having off the record networking meetings. And I tried to determine if this was something that was unusual or typical, but I noticed on Leda SH website that they describe themselves as an independent organization. However, a, an article in a German newspaper stated that Leda SH, and again, that is the anti-Semitism reporting center of Schleswig-Holstein, that this organization receives government funding and that its initiative is funded by the state. So there is some misrepresentation on their own website as to exactly what type of organization this is. But the point is, is that you have a very, perhaps uh, a prosecutor who is very interested in pursuing this case, given that she was having off the record meetings with one of the gentlemen who worked at this organization. So I just wanted to enter that a bit of information here, and you can find all of the extensive details similar to the ones that I just uh, outlined at the Doctors for COVID Ethics website under the timeline. All right, so now back to the uh, court case. So the prosecutor, Silky Fussinger, provides her, her final argument, and there was a short break, and then we reconvened, and all three of the defense lawyers presented their arguments. And I think this is really important and in particularly interesting for the viewers. So I'm going to again refer to my notes here. Uh, first, it was lawyer Martin Schwab, who was the lead lawyer on the case who provided his, his final argument. And he spoke about Sutrit's conviction in the media before the hearing. And I also uh, came across this in my own research. Sutrit was being referred to uh, as an anti-Semite in the media a year and a half before this hearing took place. So that shows that this court was potentially biased or the prosecutor was, was already um, having her mind made up prior to, to really thoroughly investigating this case. So that issue was addressed. And then Schwab, again, head defense attorney, then focused on the two charges and also stated that Sutra did not insult the Israeli people, according to a specific uh, German law in the criminal code, and that he was really concerned about the Israeli people and that he was not insulting them, but rather pointing out uh, a vaccination campaign that was being implemented by the government. And he also asked, of course, for a not guilty verdict. Then lawyer Tobias Weisenborn, again, defense lawyer for Sutra, uh, said that Sutrit is a Buddhist who is advocating for peace and unity, and that that was also mentioned in these two videos. And of course, the prosecutor fails to acknowledge that, that consistently Sutrit was advocating for peace, for more discussion as well. He wanted to engage with the other side, and they did not want to do that. And this was also cited in the judge's uh, statement at the end when he provided that not guilty verdict. So that was an important piece to this case as well. And then lastly, uh, lawyer Lawson, Ben Lawson, argued that the prosecution misunderstood uh, Sutra's statements and that, of course, uh, his words had to be analyzed within the broader context of the full video footage and the prosecutor failed to do that. 
He also went on to say that the indictment was used to set an example, to make an example of Professor Bakhti, and that the prosecutor was really using the COVID period to stir up emotions in people and further divide people, and that the indictment consists of assumptions, not evidence, and he actually said that, that he wondered if he, the defense lawyer, was sitting in the same courtroom as the prosecutor. So again, three uh, lawyers spoke as part of the final argument, and uh, the judge then uh, adjourned court. We all returned within a half hour, and everybody was feeling anxious. But I, I have to say that the, the general feeling amongst those in the courtroom was a positive one. There was a good feeling. I think Sutra will um, agree with me on this. There was a, a positive uh, feeling at this time. And the judge read out his verdict, not guilty. And it was such an amazing moment because you could hear outside the courtroom, everyone cheering as soon as he said that. So they must have been able to receive the news rather quickly. And you just heard the not guilty verdict, cheers and applause. It, it was truly an amazing moment. And then here you see on the screen, this is one of my favorite moments of the day. I think this is so powerful. Professor Bakhti is standing at the window of the courtroom, waving to his supporters who are clapping, who are showing their support for him. And this was during the first break of the hearing. So it, it was just uh, remarkable. And again, everybody who was outside that courthouse conducted themselves professionally. It was peaceful. Everyone was there because they appreciated the sacrifices that Sutra made to tell us the truth. And they wanted to be there to show their support. And they stood out there in the rain. As you see, there's umbrellas. And um, it wasn't the best weather. It was not quite a beautiful day in Germany. But what had happened was remarkable. And again, I know that this information is a lot to take in. It's very fresh in my mind as well. I will continue to uh, report on this. I'm working on right now an extensive article that describes these details and what had taken place, as well as reflecting back on the timeline of events, which again, you can find at the Doctors for COVID Ethics website. It's also available in German for the German speakers. And we also compiled an extensive biography on Professor Bakti that is also available in English, German, and Spanish. And that's on the Doctors for COVID Ethics website. And as I said, yes, lots of information to take in, but I will be um, drafting a thorough report. And I also wanna thank the group that I created on Telegram who was showing their support for Sutra, lighting candles at the window the night before. Everybody was praying. Everyone was sharing the articles because transparency in a case like this is just so important. So I want to thank that group of people. It is a private group on Telegram, but I will still be posting there. And it is Sutra Bakti case updates. I can post a link on uh, my Twitter account or on my uh, Telegram channel as well. So people can join that group for regular updates. But I, I want to thank the lawyers, too, of course, and just the broader support and the translators who helped me with this coverage and getting this out to an English-speaking audience, which is just so very important. And also, too, a big thanks to my team at CHD Europe, who is taking the information and uh, kind of making it look a little bit more put together. Again, I was working under some time constraints, and they uh, helped get this information out and perfected the photographs. And so I just owe a big thanks to CHD Europe as well. Thank you, Taylor. That was excellent coverage. And I know you've been working on this for a year and it's 
for both you and Sutrad, it's been a long, hard slog and the lawyers too, great job. So Sutrad, you know, uh, one of the things I wanna compliment you on is, uh, you know, if you if you go to Doctors for COVID Ethics and you read your bio, it's one of the most impressive careers I've ever seen. And of course, you you are considered uh, an eminent scientist in your field, and yet you have dealt with all of this targeting with uh, an unbelievable amount of uh, I would describe it as state of amusement but you stayed focused on protecting people. You stayed focused on stopping the who on, on warning people about mRNA technology, but you have, you have taken all of this with a great deal of, uh, I would just say coherence and, and maturity. How did you do this? Uh, all right. I'm going to out myself now. Um, I, <laughs> My autobiography tells you the whole story, and this is going to appear in 12 days. It's in German, and uh, it contains all, all the answers to questions that have been posed to me over the last year. That's why I decided to write this autobiography. It's a sort of a conversation. Uh, so it's a conversation on uh, what happened and how could this happen. And. Uh, all right, I'm going to stop that there. And uh, I thought that was quite a, a, a useful thing to share. Sukhari Bhakti has been very outspoken over the last three years. And inevitably, it becomes a, a trial about anti-Semitism because the, that's the, the only thing that anybody really gets put on trial for at the end of the day. It's a... Uh, it's a kind of closing of ranks around the anti-Semitism rules in Germany. And uh, I don't know how much more drama we've got to go through with this stuff, but uh, it's interesting how it's developing. I'm, I'm, my sense at the moment is that there is, a, there is a, an opening up to start talking about vaccine injuries in the UK. There's a little bit of vaccine injury coverage creeping into the Daily Mirror and the Daily Telegraph's covered a little bit and the Daily Mail a little bit, but not in it's not quite to the point where the where the big T V companies are covering. The regional regional TV's covered local local stories, like there was a there was a woman who worked for the BBC on the radio up here in, in Newcastle in the northeast who died of uh injuries in basically uh vaccine injury but she died very soon after a vaccination and the coroner ruled that it was a vaccine caused death. So the BBC up here reported on, on that because she was a member of staff and they they couldn't ignore the story. So it was a big enough story and close enough to home that they had to cover it. But but they don't normally cover stuff like that. So every now and again, something gets through the the wall that's, built, that's been put in place and more and more things are, are getting through. But it's going to be a long, a long road. 
I thought the vaccine injury story would have would have opened up a year and a half ago, but uh, so far it hasn't. It's getting it is getting there slowly. So there's light at the end of the tunnel. And I know a guy who worked at the the vaccine injury compensation place, and he's had his eyes opened. He's had his eyes opened well and truly during the time that he's he spent working there. And he said to me the last time I saw him, which was a couple of months ago, that he would never, ever take another vaccine. He would never, ever take another vaccine. So individual people are waking up, and that's the only way this thing happens. It happens one person at a time. Really, we've got we've got people like Robert Malone and, and Pierre Corey starting to wake up to the vaccine injury problem in all the other vaccines now. So they've they've got large followings and they'll wake a few people up. John Campbell doesn't go to that place, but he'll go to the vaccine injury problem for for COVID vaccines. So everybody's on a different part of the journey. Everybody's on a di- in a different place in their own version of the narrative. And You've got to respect people for where they are. They, people can only be where they are. It's not something you've got a choice about. I can only go at the at the pace that I go at because of where I've been before. And I woke up to this, this stuff 25 years ago. I've, I've been outside of the medical system for 25 years. I've literally, I've set foot in a doctor's surgery once in 25 years. And that was just to register because I'd moved, moved house for for the first fifteen years that I was in the northeast. My doctor was still in London, so after fifteen years, I was persuaded that I needed to re-register somewhere within walking distance. So I did that, and uh, I've never been back since. And I'm not likely to go back since at any point in the future. I'm just not going anywhere near them. So, but I recognised the problem 25 years ago, which means that I'm now at a place where I'm at, I'm at the philosophical problem rather than the physical, medical problem. And the phys- the philosophical problem is the, is the choice between monism and dualism. It's that choice, it's that, it's that divergence that produces the possibility that de- disease exists. So... In my world, my job now is to persuade people to unravel all the things that they've created from the dualism. So I'm gonna I'm gonna start doing healing sessions again. I think uh, based on on that modest assumption and talking people through dropping some of their assumptions about their disease. Because so I think there's a way there's there's bound to be a way to do it that'll be fun for me and fun for them, and I'll, I'll just help people to drop their belief in disease in general. And then once they've done that, then the disease, the, the manifestation of their belief can't exist if they stop believing in the, in the existence of disease. So it's a philosophical shift that produces the cure for the disease. That's, it's as simple as it gets. You can't get any simpler than that. 
it happens at philosophical level and then that that filters down through your mind and your emotions and if the physical body responds to the change in your philosophical assumptions so that's the mechanism that's the mechanism for the change the evidence comes when you make the philosophical change so it, it took me a long time though it took me i'm not saying this is an easy process and i'm not saying it's a quick process for some people it might be but for me it wasn't because i resist everything i'm skeptical about everything including things that are good for me <laughs> that's just the way that i am it's i've always been that way i can't help it it's the way it's just the way that my brain it's the way my my brain's logic works so i talk myself out into things and out of things every six months and then if they if they start to look like they're useful i might talk myself back into them uh, but then I've, if if I'm going to do healing sessions, I need to have some some serious physical evidence going on for for people really. So I mean I've I've done hands-on healing where there's been immediate physical responses from from the people I'm working on, and I think I can I can do those sessions. They're quite quick. Those sessions they're about seven eight minutes. So I was. In an hour's consultation or whatever, it would be seven or eight minutes of hands-on healing and 45 minutes of talking about belief systems and assumptions and figuring out what is, what's the belief that's producing the illness that we want to cure and then figuring out how to let go of that belief. Figuring out how to let go of the of the the mental and emotional processes that have manifested the disease. So I'm going to have to think about this a little bit. But I, as I said, I used to do coaching sessions with people nearly 20 years ago. Actually, yeah, it would be 20 years ago now. 2000, 2004 I started doing those. So 19 years ago. So I'll, I'll do my healing as part of a coaching session and then talk through the belief system re releasing as part of the coaching. Yeah, that's what that's the only way I can do it because hands on hands on on its own will will get a result, but then it doesn't shift the underlying belief system that's produced the the disease. So it'll get a result. And the result is is temporary, because you haven't really shifted the thing that was the the root cause. The root cause is the belief that's based on the assumption. That's based on the assumption. That's based on the assumption. So you've got to let go let go of the emotional stuff. Let go of the the mental stuff that's behind it. Let go of the belief system stuff. Let go of the assumptions that produce the belief system then keep stepping back all the time keep stepping back each time and who knows where that'll where that'll take people but that's the, that's the way that i'm going to be working from now on i think so hands-on is part of it but the majority of it is philosophical level 
And I think that's that's the only way that we can do this. It's one person at a time, and it's conversations, and 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 personal evidence, personal evidence that something's changing in people in somebody's life. So I do this thing when when I'm at the the soup kitchen. I'm, I go up every day. I go up to, more or less. I go up to the soup kitchen because the food's good up there, and I, I know a few people who who go up there and I, I have a conversation with them more or less every night. And I do this thing that I got from Neville Goddard where I'm visualising people as capable of dealing with their lives and capable of having better lives and, and empowering people. It's it's really, the shortcut is just imagine imagining people as God. So that's that's the empowering belief that I'm putting out is that everybody in that soup kitchen is God and they're capable of sorting their own life out and they're capable of changing their life around and getting a job and getting getting an income and getting a relationship and getting all the things that they want for themselves. Normally it's somewhere to live first and then the job and then the relationship and then all the other things. And obviously there's, a, there's quite a lot of addiction-related stuff that's associated with that. But I've seen I've seen results, and I'm not telling anybody that I'm doing this. I don't tell people up at the up at the soup kitchen that I'm doing this at all. But uh, I've seen I've seen people's lives change very very quickly, very very quickly, like within a month, within three weeks. I've seen people's lives change around and they're heading in a completely different direction. So I know that works. And I know that works because I've seen it happen in people's lives when they didn't even know that I was putting that out. I'm not claiming that I've created that. I'm All I'm doing is reaffirming what's already there. They're already God. They're already capable of all those things. I'm just confirming for like in my mind, what already exists. And I do that on the time bridge when I'm doing protests. I'm just, all I'm doing is affirming that people are God, ultimately. It's a very, very simple thing. People are infinite. People are infinite consciousness. God, whatever, whatever word you want to use, spirit. That's what makes the difference, is knowing that. Because God doesn't get sick. Why would God want to be sick? So, well, you've got to unravel that one step at a time in a conversation. You can't just go straight to your God. Because people react against it. And they think you're nuts. Or they claim that you're the devil. I mean, I've been told on more than one occasion that I'm a demon. And I take that as a badge of honour, usually. Because <laughs> it's just funny. I mean, in their belief system, I probably am a demon, but in my belief system, I'm not at all. And that's where the issue is. That It's all in belief systems. It's all in belief. So it's interesting to watch the world play out. All the geopolitics is all based on belief. All the medical situations are all based on belief. Everything, all literally everything in this in the world that's human in human society is based on some kind of belief system whereas belief about yourself or belief in your culture 
or whatever it is. Anyway, we're coming to the end of the show, so thanks for listening. And you can, if you want to, make a donation at revolution.radio. That'll keep the studios running here. Uh, we're not asking for very much, and none of us get paid. We're all volunteers, so we're all doing this for love, really. And uh, I agree with some people on here. I disagree with other people on here. But everybody's got the right to be who they are in the way that they're being. And nobody's got a right to tell you anything else. Nobody, Nobody's going to tell you how to live or what to believe. You choose what you believe yourself. But choose something that... I mean, even if you choose something that's going to make you sick, you've got a right to do that. For me, I'm choosing th- things that are empowering, but that's just that's just me. Other people choose things that are going to kill them or whatever. It's up to them. Ultimately, thanks for listening. And uh, that's it for now. I'll see you next week. I'll be posting on the podcast fairly regularly this week as well, so keep an eye out for that. It's Free Association Radio Show on Spotify and all those other players. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Thank you for listening to Revolution Radio. Hey everyone, it's Barbara Jean Lindsay, the Cosmic Oracle. If you have questions about your past lives or future plans, need answers from the cosmos about your love life or career, or just want to keep your finger on the pulse of the planet, check out my show, The Cosmic Oracle, here on Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. Hi, I'm Bill Johnson. Some consider my efforts to be an underground law school. I am not an attorney and I do not give legal advice. I teach. That's lawful and legal. Consider yourself served. You are to appear Wednesday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern, Studio A. My forte? Foreclosure and contract law. Grab your legal pad and pen. Learn a broad spectrum of law spanning administrative, criminal, family, tort, and federal law. Fools and losers cling to old cases. I dissect and comment on the latest rulings that control the courts. Don't be a loser. And if you don't appear, you will be held in contempt. Interested in the paranormal, murder mystery, real natural law. Do you enjoy interviews with amazing guests? Then join Crypt Rick every Monday night, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on Revolution Radio. Studio A, freedomslips.com. Crypt Rick's iPhone, thank you. Welcome to the Crypt. <laughs> what the heck is the truth, Jihad? Hey, I'm Kevin Barrett, host of Truth Jihad Radio.